Welcome back. I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. Today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's the second to last chapter in the book, so we're getting really close to wrapping up our concurrent study of Ecclesiastes and Philippians. This chapter deals with wisdom in the face of uncertainty. It deals with humble recognition of our own limitations, but trusting God while still doing our work. And the chapter will deal with finding joy in the lives that we have been granted and blessed with by God. So where does that joy stem from? Where is it founded? It's founded in an identity of reverentially fearing God. An identity that obediently follows his word and that places faith in Jesus who lived a perfect life and was put to death on the cross for our sins, was resurrected to life, and who is returning, placing our faith in him as our savior. I pray that this chapter helps reassure us of the hope that we can find in the sovereignty of God, that it calls us to wise action, not paralyzed analysis, and that we can better see the blessings that God has provided us with, and also be able to rejoice in those blessings while in this life. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So right off the bat, we get one of the more perplexing passages in the chapter. The impacts that could relate to business ventures, to commercial shipping investments, to diversified investments, or charity, or almsgiving, or it could relate to wisdom applied in all of those areas. Verse 1 here, starting with cast your bread upon the waters, it appears to be an expression from an ancient grain trade around seaport areas, where grain was harvested but then transported via the shipping lanes, so bread cast upon the waters. And this would have been more risky than selling your grain locally, But the transportation risks of that time, it would have also offered significantly greater potential rewards. This leads Charles Ryrie to say that this verse deals with the prospects of a bold business venture, which leads him to claim that verse 2 then deals with the wisdom of diversified investments. If verse 1 is dealing with commercial shipping investments, then verse 2 can also involve diversifying shipments and investment to ensure at least some make it through, even if a disaster strikes. Anybody who's followed the stock market knows that certain industries can crash, while others maintain, while still others might rise. Investment in one area makes you prone to huge rewards or really huge losses, but diversifying can ensure constant steady growth. Solomon continues to talk to the fact that we do not know what will happen, and since we don't know what may come, we shouldn't put all our worldly investment eggs in one basket, resting fully in and trusting completely in any one worldly thing. That's not wisdom. Another aspect of verse 2 can involve charity investment. Giving widely to multiple areas of need, it can prove more wise than placing all of our giving into one area or one organization. These verses are about applying wisdom to worldly decisions, but also about maintaining faith and trusting in God during those decisions. God is the only one who knows what will come. 
Barrick notes that knowledge of our ignorance forms the basis for a realistic outlook that depends upon the sovereign, omniscient God. So this is about investment. It's about risk. It's about faith. And it's about a call to action. Because whether through charity or business ventures, we are called to grow and multiply our impact to others. Not just sit securely, holding tight to what we have already been given. God is in control, so this isn't about scattering investments and hoping on luck, or wishing on a star, or running some crazy gamble. It's just about applying the wisdom that we do not know what will come. Only God does. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 3 through 5. So this passage links two themes that are common throughout Ecclesiastes that we are limited in our knowledge and our wisdom, but that we are still called to work and press forward with what God has laid before us in this life. Verse 3 talks about when clouds let loose their rain or how a tree might fall. You can know with some degree of certainty that there is a high probability of rain or that a tree is likely to fall, but we don't know the exact time that the first drop will fall from the sky. We don't know the precise way a tree will fall. If you try to predict natural events with accuracy and decide that you're going to wait for the perfect time to take action, to make an investment, to sow your seed, well then you're probably going to be paralyzed into idleness. So my son and I, we normally plant a garden in our backyard. In the first few years we did this, I got caught unprepared and a late season frost hindered some of our crops. So one year, I decided that we would wait till we were absolutely certain that there would not be another frost before we planted any of our crops. But it turns out that I don't actually know that date. So what happened? I was so worried about the potential for a freeze that the plants got such a late start, they weren't strong enough when the summer heat came. I was paralyzed into inaction for so long that it created a whole new set of problems. Have you ever felt a call to do something, but you wanted to wait for perfect clarity, and all of a sudden the opportunity had passed you by? We aren't in control. We don't know everything, but we are still called to action. Some investments might fail. Someone might abuse your charity. Some disasters might come. But regardless, we are still called to be a people that applies wisdom to our actions. We are called to investments in charity and to do work. We're not called to sit idly by. It's an agricultural reference in verse 4, but the principle holds to non-agricultural areas. You should prepare and you should sow your seed just as you should. You should put in the work. But remember, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. This is about God's understanding versus our own human limitations. Fearing God involves humbly acknowledging that we will not know the outcomes before they happen. Eswine says that our speculations cannot solve certain mysteries. 
plan ahead. Think critically. Apply wisdom to your choices, but don't expect to know exactly when it's going to rain, or exactly how the tree is going to fall, or exactly when crops are going to grow their best. That doesn't mean that we don't prepare for bad weather, or we don't plant during certain seasons. But that's part of the wisdom we're called to, and the planning that we're called to, and to making better investments. But God is God, and some things only God knows. It's a common thread throughout Ecclesiastes, and especially this chapter. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Ecclesiastes 11.6 Verse 6 continues what we're just talking about. We should still put in the work we're called to, even if we're not sure of the result. This idea of sowing your seed in the morning and at evening not withholding your hand means don't stop. Don't, don't just presume anything. Also, don't expect no rewards. As I said previously, we can't let what we don't know paralyze us out of the next step that we're called to take. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. There is simply too much that we don't know to rest on what we need to understand before we take a step. Zach Eswine in in a book on Ecclesiastes that I'll post on social media declares that instead of rehearsing imagery, dooms, or fortunes, or spinning his wheels on idle speculations. He rather needs to attend to what is in front of him, because who but God knows how it will all turn out. And then Eswine goes on to say that when the unknown taunts your mind within the season you find yourself, give yourself to the next thing in the place where you're at. Just do the next thing. Follow the next step. Like this then moves directly into verse 7, which says light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Whenever we're talking about light and the sun, we're also talking about joy and life. This is about finding joy in life, no matter how long you live, what opportunities you've been blessed with, or whatever challenges are in your way. Rejoice in the life that you have. As verse 8 states, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So there is no sugarcoating of life's events here by the author of Ecclesiastes, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He just kind of makes it plain. He's going to talk through some of the hard stuff, the sticky stuff. Just as we should enjoy the light and days of sun, there will be days of darkness. He even says that those days will be many. Suffering, persecution, injustices, hindrances from getting old, investment disasters, natural disasters. Like these might all be dark and gloomy days, days which might even present themselves often. And then death itself might loom as a coming day. Solomon implores us not to forget about those days or to pretend that these dark days don't exist. He wants us to remember the futility and the hevel of life under the sun. But he doesn't want those days to crowd out our joy. Psalm 118 verse 24 declares that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Barak exclaims that the trials and the travails of a lifetime, they just serve to make the joys all the more pleasant. So Ecclesiastes tackles the hard stuff. He wants us to acknowledge the hard stuff because it helps lead us to understand the blessings and to be able to rejoice in what God's provided us all the more.
Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9 This passage is a word against the youthful approach that you only live once. The, well, I can live my life for me right now, and I'll get serious and change my priorities later mentality. As Ecclesiastes makes very clear, we don't know what's going to happen. By the way, the verse says to rejoice while you are young, not because you are young. Create an identity and a foundation while you're young that will allow you to find joy throughout your life and to rejoice in the blessings that you're provided. John MacArthur says that in a world created for enjoyment but damaged by sin, judgment and enjoyment, they're held in tension. Pleasure is experienced in faith and obedience, he goes on to say. For as Solomon has said repeatedly, one can only receive true satisfaction as a gift from God. Look, there is one God and there is one judgment. And the Hebrew language here in verse 9 has very specific references to that coming inescapable judgment. They're very direct concrete. He's not talking about some like metaphorical judgment that could happen through a judge here on this earth. This, the wording makes it very clear. This is a specific judgment. This is the specific judgment of God. So enjoy life, but don't throw away your principles. Don't throw away biblical principles. Keep your identity centered on God. That identity can prove a solid foundation of joy that never wavers. None of us are perfect in this, and that's why we need Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we should just shrug our shoulders and not try. We should reverentially fear God and seek obedience. And all of this still follows that main call of Ecclesiastes for that reverential fear. There is one sovereign God and one coming judgment day. This statement is also shared in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 and 28, they say, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So here's the point of the Bible. Look toward Jesus. Turn toward him. Receive the salvation that he offers. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 10. So if we focus on the negative and we let ourselves dwell in bitterness or anger, then what good is that going to do us? All it does is serve to steal our joy. Like stuff like this, this just serves us to keep from seeing our blessings. And it usually causes us to expend energy in all the wrong areas. It blinds us. It turns us toward a worldly focus. And Solomon has spent the last 10 chapters warning us against having a worldly-centered perspective and saying that it's if you're focused that way, you're going to be disappointed. It's all about an identity that recognizes our lack of control but accepts God's ultimate control. It's about an identity that knows the limitations of our understanding and wisdom but also knows and accepts the complete understanding and the perfect wisdom of God. It's about an identity that knows the vanity and the futility of chasing a life under the sun, 
but also that knows the joy and contentment of a life founded upon faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the English Standard Version, or ESV, Bible Translation, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Until next time, though, I love y'all.